Let's pray. Revealer of mysteries, reveal to us those things. Give us answers to those mysteries that keep us awake at night. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we see here, as has been read, Nebuchadnezzar cannot sleep. Did you notice that it said he didn't have just one dream, but he was having many dreams, plural? That's how it begins off. He is having the king. He's a brand new king. He's just new, you know, a couple years into his administration here, and he's having dreams. And these many dreams are keeping him awake at night. He cannot sleep. He's worried. He's concerned. He has a lot of anxiety. The weight of this new administration is on his shoulders, and it's keeping him up. He is concerned also that maybe because he's had this dream that we learn about later, we're only going to brush on it today because chapter 7 of Daniel on December the 11th, chapter 7 of Daniel goes into more detail about the dream. We're going to get into the details then. Today, we're just going to focus on how this problem was solved and barely brush up against the details of the dream. But he has this dream of this statue-like figure that is completely demolished. And he's thinking it's a man-like figure that's demolished. And he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, because dreams we know from secular history and we know from the history of Daniel are very important in Babylon. Very, very important. And so he's thinking, is that me? Am I going to, is somebody going to assassinate me? The next two out of the three kings after Nebuchadnezzar were assassinated. And so he's very concerned. Is somebody going to try to assassinate me. So he really wants to know the answer about this dream because it's very, very serious. Insomnia today, everybody, is a public health epidemic. Insomnia today is a public health epidemic. We're worried. Our minds are rolling so fast, it is hard for us to fall asleep at night. And then we watch the news right before we go to bed. And it churns us up even more. And we're worried about crisis, world crisis, crisis in here in America, crisis in our neighborhood, things that are going, our safety, our health, our purpose, our meaning. There's a lot of reasons, a whole myriad of reasons of why we stay awake at night. Some of us, some of us have a dog living in our homes, a dog that we never wanted to be living in our homes. And at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, that dog barks like crazy, uncontrollably, barking, waking you up. And then sometimes that dog takes its snozzle and while you're laying there dead asleep at 2 o'clock and more just rams you right in the back and wakes you up. And then you get up indignant and you look at the person close by to you who wanted that dog and promised you the dog would not cause you any problems. And you say, I can't believe this. And they say to you, the dog has never done this before and says it so like it's true. And you know for a fact this is the fourth time this week that the dog has done this. You can't sleep. You're falling asleep. You're trying to prepare sermons and messages. You're reading God's word. You're counseling people. Your eyes are going cross. You are so out of it. You're tired. Some of you, maybe you're in that boat. Frustrated over debt. Am I ever going to get a debt? My health, my safety concerns, purpose, meaning in life is that I'm single and I want to be married. I'm married and I want to be single. These things bother you they keep you awake at night is there a god can i trust him is jesus his name these are the kind of things that keep us awake at night mysteries 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 lots of mysteries here's the good news daniel 2:28 says it this way there's a god in heaven who reveals mysteries that's the good news what's your mystery today what is keeping you awake at night what is causing you not to be able to sleep what is on your mind Is there a solution to that mystery that you face? Chapter 2 
that we focus on today begins with fear and anxiety and it ends with peace and praise. And what I want to concern ourselves with this morning for a few moments is, is do we see some kind of biblical roadmap through the life of Daniel, how he solved a very serious mystery to himself because he had a problem on his hands. So I got a couple things that I want to go over. But first, let me just set the scene. Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream. Again, he's new to the kingdom. He's had many dreams, as I said. He's had this one dream. He says, I can't take it anymore. Bring in the wise men. Who are the wise men? The wise men are the best and the brightest. And he says, look, I don't want you just to interpret the dream. That's what they're on the payroll for. They're on the payroll to interpret dreams. He says, I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and then I want you to interpret it. And what was their response? This is crazy. No king, nobody's ever, why is he so harsh? Why is he doing this to them? I'll tell you why. He's young. He's like in his 20s, Nebuchadnezzar is. These counselors who he's calling before him are the older counselors, the counselors of his father. If anybody is going to assassinate Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to do it? Two different groups, the military and the wise men. So he's thinking to himself, I'm suspicious of the wise men. So it's either going to be them or me. And if I have any inkling that maybe they might be, I'll just get rid of all of them. And so he's very harsh. And you see that in verse number nine here, where he says to them out of nowhere, he says, you have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things. This guy is scared. And he thinks that these wise men that stand before him possibly are plotting to overthrow him and to assassinate him. They don't like the way the new guy is doing it. They like his father. So he's scared of them. He's thinking about putting him to death. So he says, you tell me, first of all, what I dreamed, and then you interpret it for me. Now, they can't do it. So he gets very angry. He says, okay, well, this is what we're going to do then, since you can't tell me what it is. We're going to rip all of your arms and legs off. Like you're one, but you're getting ready to be five parts here in just a second. And then we're going to take your houses and turn them into dung heaps. I can't imagine this is a good way to die. I mean, do you die right away when they rip your arms and legs off? Or do you just kind of sit there in five parts for a few minutes thinking about it? I don't know, but this can't be good. So the executioner goes out and he rounds up all the wise men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had just graduated from school. They'd been in school for three years. And so here comes the executioner. Hey, boys, come on out. We're going to rip your arms and legs off today. Oh, come on out. And Daniel says, well, what's going on here? And now we see a roadmap here in Daniel in these verses about how he solves this mystery. All right, here we go. Number one is this. Stay calm. Stay calm. Let's read verses 14 and 15 of the text. Let's see how Daniel reacts. When Arioch, who's the executioner, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and intact. Daniel's getting ready to have his arms and his legs ripped off. And he's like totally in control. He's totally calm. Nebuchadnezzar's losing it. I'm sure all the other wise men are losing it. Daniel is calm. He asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Okay, listen, here's the thing. We're not going to solve our problems. We can't sleep at night. We're, staying up. We're on edge. When you don't sleep, you're on edge. You're getting frustrated. Maybe you've been dealing with something for a long time. A lot of times the human inclination is just to lose it. But the problem with just losing it is it never gets you closer to the solution, does it? If you don't know that, I'll tell you, I've tried it. It does not work. I could give you a million examples of that. So the first thing we see Daniel, he stays calm. Here's the second thing. Verse number 16 says this. At this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time. 
so that he might interpret the dream for him. Do you get the hint of a strong degree of expectation? I'm going to go, okay, give me a little bit of time so I can interpret this for you. He has a strong degree of expectation. Here's the second point from him. Expect God to get involved. James 1, 5, and 6 says it this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. And when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. A study was done by a guy named George Barnett. He does all these studies here in America, particularly of the church. And so this is what he found. He said, churches where there's obvious spiritual life going on, like there's something vibrant, there's something spiritually vibrant that's happening in that church, and people are growing spiritually, and prayers are being answered. They said, what is the common denominator with all these churches? They found one thing that stood out really big with churches like this. Check this out. Listen. When people went to the church, when they gathered together as a church, they had a high degree of expectation that they were going to meet God that day. Isn't that interesting? This is the same thing that we see in Daniel. It's the same thing we see in the book of James. Here's the third thing. I want to linger over the third point just a little bit more because I feel like God's been showing me something in my own life about this third point. Pray with your peeps. Pray with your peeps. Who are your peeps? They're not those little Easter things, first of all. Who can tell me what a peep is? Who's your peep? Because there might be some people in this room. They might be older, and they might not know what a peep. They're not young and hip like you. Can anybody yell out, who's your peep? Your friends. Your friends, people who you're tight with, people who you're really tight with, that's who your peeps are. But these aren't any old friends, all right? These aren't casual relations. That's not who you call a peep. A peep isn't a casual friendship. A peep is somebody who you're tight with. They're your boy. They're your girl. You know what I'm saying? You're tight with them. You stick with them no matter what. I want you to think about this. These guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, had faced death squared in the face together on a constant basis. What happens when you have a friend and you're facing a really difficult thing? Or worst of all, you're facing death with them, right? Does that do a strange thing to your friendship? Does that make it like super tight? You've been down in the trenches. That's where people who are in the military who've been in a foxhole together, right? And they're already friends and they go through that experience. Boy, you become really, really tight. So here's, here's these four guys, these four friends that he goes back and he prays with. Had they faced death together? Yes. Death number one was the siege of Jerusalem. So when Nebuchadnezzar's army comes around Jerusalem and they lay it under siege, they didn't know any day they were going to die. These four guys hanging together thought any moment we could die. And people were dying all around them. Then they get them and they march them back to Babylon. It's a 900-mile march. And the whole way back there, they're thinking... We could die any day, like any second. They could kill us. Nebuchadnezzar was a mean, tough guy. He didn't play around. His army didn't play around. We might get killed any second. Do you think that weighs on them? Do you think that brought them together? All right, the second thing that happened is what? Chapter 1. In chapter 1, this guy Ashpenaz says, look, you got to eat the meat and wine. And they take this wild risk. And they go, these four guys together, they face death square in the face. Say, you know what? Would it be okay if we didn't eat this? And now, this final thing here, we see that they're getting ready to have their arms and legs ripped off. When you face death, what happens is you really come together. These guys are stuck together. It is very, very tight. They're tight. It reminds me of Jack Nicholson. A few good men. Do you remember the court scene? Soldier, do you know what it's like to place your life in another man's hand? And have him place his life in yours. 
that's when things get really tight. Now, I want to show you a scene on the, on, the, on the screen back here, all right? Watch it. Listen closely. This is a group of people who have faced death on a regular basis before. And then the one guy, the lead guy, many of you are going to recognize it. He's going to speak, and I want you to hear his words, all right? Let's roll the tape, see what it says. Antiquity to bring you a recreation of the second fall of mighty Carthage. Your emperor is pleased to give you the barbarian horde. Start with you, Vindavara. You can help me. Whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. Pleased to bring you the legionnaires of Scipio Africana! see the lights go out there because it was generating a little bit of heat. Do you hear what he said? If we stay together, we survive. Here's the thing that I feel like God's been showing me recently. I, I've been to prayer meetings all my life. I've been in church all my life. I go to prayer meetings. I pray with people I know. I pray with random people. And the hit rate on the answers to prayer are just a lot lower than what is okay with me. And it bothers me. Love to see more answers for the people that we pray with and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I go to these things. I'm not. These are good. Prayer beatings are great. But is there any way to increase? And I'm thinking, then I'm thinking about Daniel. And he goes and he prays with these guys who aren't random people. They're not just friends. He's tight with these guys. It's like Jesus and his disciples. Something began to happen to me about a year ago. God began to put this on me. Hey, this command of Jesus, go and make disciples. You know, have this group of people tight day by day that you're tight with. It's like the Holy Spirit just kept, you, you don't have that. You know a lot of people, you pray with a lot of people, all this kind of, you don't have that. You need to do that. I prayed about it for months, six, seven, eight months. God led me to form a group of guys. 
Very diverse group of guys. We stick with each other. Good, bad, ugly, victory, defeat. We're there for each other during the day. We're there for each other at night. We're sticking with each other, whether we like it or not. We're sticking with each other. About a week and a half ago in our group, this kind of wave came over us. We were just talking about the Bible as we do, you know. And this thought came across, you know what? Jesus would like to draw more people into a saving relationship with him. And we just felt like we should pray about that. And we did. We prayed about it seriously. These guys, these eight guys that I'm tight with. Four days later in church, last Sunday, three people that I know of came up to me and asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life. I started thinking about that. It's interesting. How'd that happen? And I got a phone call from somebody this past week. They've gotten themselves in a group. Not just any group. Not just a Bible study that we go through for an hour a week or an hour and a half. No, they got in a group where they're getting tight. Like they're in a discipleship type relationship. They're tight. They're sticking with each other. They've been praying about something for weeks, months. And all of a sudden, all the windows of heaven open up. Bam, 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 bam. I thought, well, isn't that interesting, these two things? We just came back from a staff retreat. Our staff here is pretty tight. And I was reminded last year we were on the staff retreat, we prayed about some stuff. And now a year later, I realized, wait a minute, those things we prayed about, they actually got answers. And I started putting two and two together. And I'm realizing in my own life, when I pray with people who I'm really tight with, the hit rate on the answers goes up. So Jesus Christ says in his final statement, Go and make disciples. What does that mean? It's clear what it meant in the book of Acts. Very clear. It's not like me coming over and saying, hey, brother, you received Jesus Christ. Great. God bless you. I go on with my life. That's not disciple making. That has nothing to do with discipleship. Discipleship is a deep, committed relationship where day by day by day, we are in it together like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we read in the book of Acts what's going on. In the book, day by day, they're with each other. They had small groups of each other that they were tight with. Matthew chapter 18 says, If you agree with someone on anything, the Father will answer it from heaven. Here's the question I had to ask myself. Did I have, that, did I have a lot of surface relationships? I did. Was my hit rate really low? On answers, it was. And I'm noticing something that I'm, when I'm intentionally taking the time to fulfill the command that Jesus Christ is talking about, not where I'm just going to Bible studies, not where I'm just, none wrong prayer means, I'm saying that, I know I'm gonna, somebody's going to be mad at me about saying that, okay? When I'm really tight with a group like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my hit rate is going way up. So the question is this, I didn't have it. I didn't have it till recently. I've been in church all my life. Do you have that? Is, is that going on in your life? For me, as I'm looking at my own life, I'm thinking that was a problem in me solving some of my mysteries and me having some of my prayers. That seems to be something that was impeding me. 
Do you have that in your own life? So I want you to think about that. All right? What's the next one? Number four, plead for mercy. This is what it says in verse number 18. So he gets together with his boys, right? And when he gets together, he says, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Why? Why should we do that? Well, he's really clear. So that he and his friends might not be executed. Very clear. We are going to die. So we're going to pray really, really hard. Now, when he gets this revelation, right, when he understands what it is, here is something really cool that it actually takes my breath away in the beginning. So he goes to the king, right, and he has the answer. So the king says, okay, Daniel, you have the answer. The last word that you want to come out of your mouth to a king who's ready to rip off your arms and legs is the word no. And it's the exact word that he says. He says, Daniel, do you have it? And Daniel says, no, I don't have it. But he quickly follows up. I bet he said it like this. No wise man, enchanter, you know, says, oh, it's crazy. Says he gets to the good part. No wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. What is he saying? So we can't do this. Only God. We're ple- we are completely dependent upon God for the answer. He says in verse number 22 of Daniel chapter 2, he says, God, you gave us an answer to the things that lie in darkness. Things that lie in darkness was their way of saying things that we as human beings are incapable of understanding for ourselves. James 5.16 says it this way. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is very effective. The fervent prayer. They're pleading. They got that part down. Of a righteous person. How are you righteous? How are you righteous? Well, here's the thing. We would think, well, okay, righteous. I got to be a good person. You know, I got to watch what I say and what I do and make sure I, you know, all this kind of stuff in the Bible. I'm a goody two-shoe, whatever, however you want to call it. But the Bible tells us there's nobody righteous. No, not one. It says actually our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So how are we righteous? The only way we're righteous is when we're fully dependent upon God because we know we can't do anything ourselves. So it's this state of utter dependency. Now, they knew this didn't they? Because they're getting ready to die. Hopefully, none of us are going to be in a situation where somebody's ready to rip our arms and legs off. I'm hoping that's the case for you, and I can guarantee you, I hope it, I'm hoping it's the case for me, that I'm never in that. But it is a gift from God for all of us to realize in a very independent world, in a very independent country, where we can do things on our own, it's a gift from God to us to understand that we are always fully dependent upon God, that we have no hope but God. Now, they knew that because of the situation we're in. But if we find ourselves pleading for mercy in such a way, maybe our hit rate on prayer will go up. Here is the fifth thing. Be sure to say thank you. So he gets the answer in verse number 18. And look what he does immediately. This is before he goes to see the king. He's got the answer. His arms and legs about ready to be ripped off. He has the answer. What would you do? I can tell you what I would do. I'd make a beeline to the king right away. I would not do what Daniel did, but check out what he does. Verse number 19 and 20. It says this, Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. And he goes into this psalm of praise to Almighty God. I read this and I wondered to myself, Is my lack of gratitude for answers that God has already given me in the past? 
I wonder if my lack of answers for going back to God and saying, thank you, I praise you for what you've already done, is it standing in the way of answers today? You follow me? Like, have I not said thank you for what God has already done and I'm gumming up the works myself because I never bothered to say thank you for what he's already done. I'm saying, give me more. And maybe God's over and saying, you know what? Maybe you need to take the time to thank me for what I have already done. And when you do that, we'll go over here and take care of this. I began to think about this. Am I careful to do that? So a lot of times I pray, oh, God, and then God does answer. And I just go on with life. He made sure that he thanked God for what God already did. The Bible says that we enter into God's presence with praise. That's where the answers are found in the presence of God. Final point is this. Run to the rock. Run to the rock. Now, can we have the picture? We can see it. There it is. Now, when I talk about running to the rock, I'm not talking about this guy. Why would anybody want to run to that guy? This guy is not attractive, right? This guy is not attractive. This guy is not charismatic. Every man in this room is more attractive than this guy, right, ladies? Who would want to run to this guy? He can't do anything. There is another rock we're talking about. Keith, let's take that picture down so people can focus on what we're talking about here. Hey, so this dream, give me just a second. I want to set the dream up. Again, we're going to talk about it more in a few weeks. December the 11th, talk about it. The dream was about five world superpowers. Five world superpowers. People say, well, America's a superpower right now. Not in the way that the Bible's talking about superpower. Superpower back in those days meant that the entire planet, this is an easy way to figure it out, the entire planet is paying this government all of their taxes. You make sense? You understand? That's a superpower. When the whole world pays taxes to one place. The entire world paid taxes to Babylon. And then there came a time when the entire world paid taxes to the Medes and Persians, and then, then, then Greece, and then to Rome, all right? So this is what we're talking about. So he has this dream of this man-like statue, and the head is made of gold, and it's clear because Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, you, you are that head of gold. That's kingdom number one. And you're going to be overthrown by a kingdom of silver. That was the next thing down in the statue. The chest was of silver. And he says, that's the Medes and Persians. Is that what happened? History tells us that's exactly what happened. The Medes and Persians over the... And then next, we have the, the thighs. And the thighs are bronze. And he says, that's going to be Greece. And they're going to take over so fast, it's going to be like an animal running and the feet don't even touch the ground. Is that what happened? Exactly what happened. Alexander the Great. Daniel prophesies this for three, four hundred years before this ever takes place. And it's verified through history. And then he says, and this is where we have a problem, we won't get into today, but he talks about the legs. And everybody says, well, that's Rome. Maybe it is Rome. I don't know. We'll discuss that in a few weeks. This is the, the legs of iron. These legs are coming, and they're going to crush, and they're going to smash everything. And then finally, he says, there's going to be a fifth kingdom, a fifth world superpower. You got the first four, and now we got a fifth. Who's the fifth world superpower? That fifth world superpower is Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Let's read the text. Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45. It says this. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that's never going to be destroyed. All right? So we're talking about something that's eternal now. Not something that's temporary. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock. This is where we got the run to the rock comes from. 
This is the meaning of the vision of the rock, notice this, that is cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. This is a God thing. It's like God didn't raise up this kingdom, this superpower. I mean, man did not raise it up. God raised it up supernaturally, this fifth kingdom. All right? This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, and the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So this rock, everybody, you've got a big statue here. You've got four super kingdoms. And all of a sudden, this rock comes from nowhere. No man. Cre- God creates it, and it's like hurtled like a missile. And it hits the bottom of this statue, but it obliterates the whole thing. That's the vision. That's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. All right? The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 20 and 1 Peter chapter 2, all of these places in the Bible tell us that Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the cornerstone. He is what everything is going to be. tells us that when Jesus Christ arrives in his kingdom, he is going to smash the reigning superpower of the day. And he's going to hit it so hard. You ever heard somebody say, I'm going to hit you so hard, your grandcestors in the grave are going to feel it when I hit you that hard. Anybody ever heard that? Has anybody heard that? Man, you all need to get out more often to do something. I'm going to hit you so hard. So what's being said here is Jesus is going to come in and he's going to hit this superpower so hard that 2,500 years from now, 2,500 now, whenever he's going to do this, but all the way back to Babylon, they're going to feel it. It's going to crush them. That's how hard Jesus Christ is going to, going to feel it way, way back in time. Now, what does all this mean? Let's wrap it up by saying this. This entire statue is going to be demolished. It's going to be obliterated. And Jesus Christ is going to come and destroy everything that stands in his way. Let's read Revelation 19 that talks about this. We can't understand major portions of the Bible without Daniel's chapter 2 and 7, everybody. So let's read Revelation 19. I saw heaven, the speaking of Jesus Christ. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Let's stop right there. When Jesus Christ rode in to Jerusalem, who knows who he came riding on? What did he ride in on? A what? On a donkey. When kings came in peace, they rode on donkeys. When kings came in war, what did they ride on? Horses. So Jesus, he's come to war whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges, and he what? He makes war. His eyes are blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Check this out. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with which to strike down the nations. What this is describing to us, everybody, is violence. Very, very violent. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, how does that start? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's next? What's the next? Thy kingdom come. When you pray, God, thy kingdom come, God, you are asking Jesus Christ to come and make war. Think about that. Very violent. You're inviting Jesus Christ to come and make war. You might say, well, wait a minute, John. I kind of like the peace and love, Jesus. I mean, I enjoy that. Can he be about, I mean, this is like the warrior Jesus. Can we get back to the peace and love? I don't like that. I don't like that. Into, I'm just going to believe in a Jesus of peace and of love. Well, let me ask you this. Let's put this in context as I wrap up. Does injustice make you angry? Anybody here in the house 
get upset about injustice in the world? Anybody? Okay, some of you are upset about injustice. I'm angry over injustice. Does greed and genocide make you angry? Does human trafficking and suffering and pain make you angry? We had a member here, remember, we had an attender here because we don't have membership. We had an attender here of our congregation. His name is Robert Wan. Four or five years ago, Robert was stabbed to death down on DuPont Circle. And a bunch of us, pretty angry about that. This is not a good thing. We have a former board member. His name is Paul Song. His wife is Lisa Ling. Lisa's going to be on the Oprah Winfrey Network tonight. I think it's at 10 o'clock. And she's going to do a piece about children involved in prostitution. And some of her research, it's on the TV that you'll see tonight. She'll talk about this. She was right here in Washington, D.C. And she says, 12-year-old little girls with a long line of adult male customers for little 12-year-old girls lined up. And then the police will come in and will arrest the 12-year-old little girls. And all the customers and the pimps go free. Does that make anybody angry? Is that sick and disgusting? Now, let's talk about Warrior Jesus. Because warrior Jesus is going to come down and crush that. So you might say, I want Jesus a piece of love. Great. I don't. I want him to come down and crush injustice. I want him to smash it and to obliterate it. To be done with it. To be done with suffering and pain. We think about, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to get to heaven one day and it's going to be nothing but peace and love. I'm going to be floating on a cloud. That's not what the Bible teaches, everybody. The Bible does not teach that one day you're going to go to heaven and there's going to be nothing but peace and love. What the Bible talks about is that heaven is going to come down here. And Jesus Christ is going to ride into, a, into town on a horse. And he's going to make war against all the injustice. And all the suffering and the pain. And here's where you and I come into play. There needs to be no ambiguity whatsoever on what side of the street we stand on when he rides into town. Because you're either with him or you're against him. Either with him or you're against him. So when he comes into town, there's no ambiguity there. You have to be with him because if you're against him, he's going to sling his sword. And it's not going to be pretty. Here's five things to think about. Number one, stay calm. Solving a problem, stay calm. Number two, expect God to get involved. Number three, pray with your peeps. Number four, plead for mercy. Be sure to say thank you and run to the rock. Today is Communion Sunday. I'm going to ask those who are going to help us serve communion just to come on up front. We're going to have three different locations. One, there's another one here, I think, and the third one's going to be right over there. Music team's going to play. What happens in communion? Jesus Christ said, this is my body, this is my blood. This is my body, this is my blood. Jesus Christ came as the suffering servant of God to us, broke his body, shed his blood. By his mercy and his grace, he stands with open arms and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Here's the picture that I've always loved from the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ is standing at the door of our lives. That's the picture that's given. He's standing there, and it says that he stands at that door, and he's knocking, and he's saying, won't you please open that door and let me in? What I'd like us to think about here, as we take communion this morning, and communion is open to everybody, what I'd love for us to think about is just pray. Where do you stand? 
with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there any ambiguity about that whatsoever? Would you consider during communion making sure that you clear up that ambiguity? How about Daniel's life? How about these six things that he talked about and the hit rate on answers to prayer? Is there something that you need to shore up? Something that you need to do? When you come and take communion, you come whenever you want. It's completely up to you. After you take communion, why don't we just take just a few moments as the band plays and just maybe hear what the Holy Spirit might say to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the direction that your word gives us. I thank you for the hope that you give us that there is coming a day when there will no longer be suffering and pain and injustice. But Jesus, you're going to ride into town and you're going to take care of that. But right now, we want to thank you that you extend mercy and grace to us, that you shed your blood, that you broke your body for us. Lord, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. And may we all seriously consider where we stand in our relationship with you today. In your holy name. Amen.